Why, hello there. Welcome back to a new episode of the Liberators Network podcast. I'm Christian Verwijs, and the title of today's episode is What Makes a Good Product Owner? How much time should a product owner spend with their team or with stakeholders? How much time should they spend on writing items for the product backlog? Should they even write items for the product backlog? How about mandate? How much mandate do you need as a product owner in order to be effective? And what kind of strategies makes them more or less effective? Now, there are many opinions about this in our community. For example, there are supposedly eight stances for product owners. You can find blog posts about this, but they are also part of official classes for product owners. Others argue that product owners are great when their team doesn't need them. Another common opinion is that product owners should actively experiment and test hypotheses. Now, I gladly support all these opinions, and I'm sure there's a lot of truth to them. At the same time, I wonder what a scientific perspective has to offer. Maybe we can learn more about this in an evidence-based manner. Now, from our own quantitative research with over 7,000 Scrum teams, We know that teams are more effective when they are more aware of the needs of their stakeholders. And product owners certainly seem to play a big role there. Unger Windler and her colleagues in 2019 studied product owners and they concluded, begin quote, while the role is supposed to maximize the value of product under development, there seem to be several scattered results on how product owners actually achieve this as well as what actually constitute the role of product ownership in practice, end quote. So in today's episode, we're going to explore scientific research that addresses the role of the product owner. We used Google Scholar and searched for all scientific studies with the terms product owner appearing in them. And we read all the articles that seemed relevant to today's episode. We'll summarize seven of them in this episode, and there's obviously a lot more you can read, uh, but this is a good starting point, I think. The first insight is that theory is often different from practice. The Scrum Guide seems pretty clear about what product owners are accountable for. They should develop and communicate the product goal. They should manage items in their ordering on the product backlog. And they should ensure that the product backlog is understood by stakeholders and team members. That sounds quite straightforward, but is this also what product owners do in practice? Now, there are several academic studies that have interviewed uh, product owners or done surveys or collected data through other means. And one consistent pattern is that product owners often practice their role very differently from the Scrum framework. And I'll list some differences that were observed. For example, Sveris Dotter Ingason and Jonasson in 2014 interviewed product owners from different organizations. They found that in many organizations there are multiple product owners for the same product, even though the Scrum Guide says that that is not a good idea and should be discouraged, or at least the Scrum Guide says you should have only one product owner per product. But in practice this is often different. Now, what distinguishes product owners from other roles in organizations is also understood differently. Van Waardenburg and Van Vliet in 2013 offer an interesting case study in a large organization. They conclude that, begin quote, the project manager focuses on the how of a project, whereas the product owner focuses on the what. This is obviously quite different from the theory of the Scrum framework. Furthermore, the study by Sveris Dotter Ingason and Jonasson that I just mentioned 
also observes that some product owners expect Scrum Masters to maintain the product backlog, although this also contradicts the Scrum Guide. Now, the study by Sveres Dotter, Ingason, and Jonasson also tells us something about how much time product owners spend with their teams. In essence, there is no clear standard for this. Some product owners spend 5% of their time, others spend 70% of their time with teams. Some product owners are highly involved with their th teams throughout the development cycle, but in other cases, product owners consider their work done when the product is defined, as meaning that all the items on the product backlog are clear, and then it's up to the development team to do the rest of the work. Obviously, this is not how the Scrum Guide understands the role of product owners, but this is one of those differences. Now, the product owners that were interviewed agreed that Scrum had increased project success, which is great. They also agreed that unrestricted autonomy was necessary with regard to product-level decisions. So that tells us something about the need for a strong mandate for product owners. Maybe more so than even the other roles in the Scrum framework, how product owners fulfill their role is highly contextualized. A study by Unger Windeler and her colleagues in 2019 also investigated what product owners do in many different organizations, and they concluded that no product owner role is like another. Now, my own experience with Scrum teams is that the role of product owner is both the most critical and the most difficult role to fulfill well, just because the role is so contextual. Unless product ownership is shared within a team, which we will discuss in more detail later in this episode, even a great team will struggle when their product owner is unable to maximize the value of the work done by the team. We can take these findings in two ways. We can become more prescriptive and hammer on what is expected of product owners according to the Scrum Guide. Or we can take a more flexible approach. As Sveri's daughter Ingason and Jonasson in 2014 conclude, begin quote, The role of the product owner is a very difficult role. The reason is that success depends on so many factors. Organizational culture, type of project, management approach, and last but not least, the interaction within the team that is developing the product, end quote. However, the insights that we will discuss next offer us some evidence-based suggestions for product owners on what to focus on. The second insight is that there are roughly eight core activities, each requiring full mandate. This insight is based on a study by Bayes and his colleagues from 2018. They investigated which core activities product owners spend their time on in 10 multinationals. They performed interviews and with 55 practitioners and observed hundreds of Scrum events to categorize the activities that product owners spend their time on. They identified eight core activities, and I will now summarize these for you. The first one is the prioritizer. This involves the selection and ordering of the product backlog so that the highest value is delivered first. The second one is called the groom. This involves the breakdown and clarification of work on the product backlog, as well as their acceptance criteria. Now, note that Bayes calls this groom in reference to product backlog grooming, this term has long been used in the Agile community, but it has since been changed with refinement because grooming has negative connotations, which you can find for yourself if you Google it. Now, the third core activity that BASE identifies is that of the release master. Product owners manage and approve 
plans to release new versions to stakeholders. They are also communicators, which is the fourth role, which involves the transfer of knowledge between different sites as well as from and to the team. Product owners are also travelers. They work to build an understanding of stakeholders by visiting them and spending time with them. But they're also intermediaries, which means that they act as an interface between management and the team, and they have a process for disseminating domain knowledge and turning it into items for a product backlog. Product owners are also gatekeepers, which means that they approve completed items for a release. And finally, they are customer relationship managers, which means that they support stakeholders in their use of a product. And this can include training, technical support, and preparation for new releases. Now, please note that if you put these eight roles next to the Scrum Guide, you will see differences. For example, in the Scrum Guide, the activity of refinement is something that should be done collectively by the team, ideally. And in the study by base, this is clearly something that product owners do. It's also likely that the role of gatekeeper is not really in line with the Scrum Guide. Because yes, of course, the product owner approves a new release, but actually making sure that each item confirms to done, that's not necessarily something that product owners do. But then again, this is what Bayes found from empirical evidence from the interviews they did. So this is how many product owners put the theory in practice. Now, I suspect that most of these activities are not surprising if you've worked with Scrum teams. The last one, the customer relationship manager, is perhaps the most surprising one from the perspective of the Scrum framework. It's not listed anywhere in the Scrum guide that product owners perform training or offer technical support. But it does make sense when you consider that most product owners are probably obvious contact points for stakeholders, also in the case of issues and support. It's also interesting to consider what's not on this list. I would have personally expected more activities relating to product discovery, product vision, and other forward-looking activities. It's surprising that this is apparently not how most product owners practice the role. And we will investigate this more in the next insights, which we will discover next, uh, discuss next. Now, this list of core activities is quite diverse. It's no surprise that the researchers conclude that, begin quote, product owners perform a wide range of challenging activities, which require experience and high status in order to be able to exert influence, end quote. So no matter what you think of the eight core activities and how well they fit with the Scrum Guide, what's really important to emphasize from this research also is that a clear product mandate to decide over the product and its budget is really critical to its success. Now, how can you put this insight into practice? Our first recommendation would be to use the core activities as a way to reflect on your own practice as a product owner or on the practice of your product owner if you're not one yourself, but you have one in your team or you're coaching one. In particular, it is useful to explore if you have indeed sufficient mandate in the areas that are identified by base. Otherwise, it will be very difficult to be effective. And maybe the study by base can actually help as a leverage to get more mandate. It's really important. Second, as a recommendation, the Scrum Guide emphasizes that product owners can delegate tasks to the team. As we will discuss in more detail later in this episode, this is a great way to create a shared sense of product ownership. Which activities can be fulfilled by others in the team and what is needed for that? 
Together, these two, these two recommendations are useful to put this insight about eight core activities into practice. The third insight is that product discovery is missing. I already mentioned this in the discussion of the study by BASE, namely that product owners didn't seem to be that involved with uh, product discovery activities like creating a product vision, a strategy, or getting a sense of what the product could become in the future. Now, most of the product owners that were interviewed by BASE seem to be more focused on managing the present rather than exploring the future of their product. And if you read the Scrum Guide, especially the future of the product is an important part of the role. So I wondered where that discrepancy came from. Now, fortunately, we've collected our own data with the Scrum Team survey that may shed some light on this. We measure different areas of what Scrum teams spend time on and, and how well they do in these areas. And if you look at the areas that are concerned with product ownership, we have five. We have product discovery, we have value focus, stakeholder collaboration, shared goals, and sprint review quality. What we consistently see is that the scores and results for product discovery and sprint review quality are relatively the lowest which is closely followed also by stakeholder collaboration. Now, the size of teams or organizations does not particularly seem to matter to these results, as results are lower both for small and large organizations. A pattern that may connect these lowest scoring themes is the availability of stakeholders, like customers, users, and other internal stakeholders. Indeed, the themes also seem to be correlated more strongly with each other than with other themes. So basically the lower scoring uh, areas, product discovery, uh, sprint review quality, and stakeholder collaboration tend to correlate, which means that the, their scores are usually similar. They're all high or they're all low in the same team. That means that their scores tend to go together most of the time. And we also know that product discovery impacts team effectiveness. Together with Professor Daniel Russo, we analyzed data from 1,200 Scrum teams, and we found that teams that purposefully invest time in product discovery, along with other areas, have more satisfied stakeholders and higher team morale. So there is a measurable positive impact of these forward-looking activities. Now, this insight may reflect that the Scrum Guide indeed does not offer enough guidance on how product owners can maximize the value of the product. The accountabilities listed in the Scrum Guide do feel more like administrative tasks than imaginative tasks, even though the imaginative part of the product owners is very much emphasized in popular articles and books on product ownership. It makes me wonder if we can do better in how we describe the role and its purpose in the Scrum Guide. Now, how can you put these in, this insight in practice? The first recommendation is that because many product owners and teams struggle with product discovery, we have created two do-it-yourself workshops that you can use to improve in these areas. Now, the links to these are in the show notes, so you can download them. One is free and the other costs you a cup of coffee, roughly. Um, but you can use those workshops yourself with your team to uh, basically improve in product discovery and stakeholder collaboration. And we found them to be very useful. The second tip or recommendation is that the sprint review is a really good opportunity to engage in product discovery. 
You can share working increments with stakeholders, let them actively try it and suggest features, and then look ahead together. So based on what we've delivered this sprint, what else makes sense? What makes sense right now and what makes sense maybe a few months down the road? Although not, you may not be able to implement all the requests that stakeholders come up with, this is a really great first step to more active product discovery. The fourth insight is that product owners are communicators. Caroline Unger-Windler and her colleagues in 2019 explored existing studies about product owners, and they also observed product owners in a large organization themselves. A clear pattern from their research is that product owners are, first and foremost, communicators. They spend around 65% of their time in meetings and scrum events, and during that time they interact with 15 different roles. Now you can find all 15 in the article that this episode is based on, but to give you an impression, we're talking about UX specialists, about scrum masters, developers, customers, users, project managers, product managers, software directors, skill pool managers, project management office people, system architects, technical support, and the list goes on. The summary of this is that product owners have to interact with many different roles in the organization and outside the organization to understand what is needed for their product. Now, what is it that product owners communicate about? Christens Dottir, Laris Dottir and Kajander in 2017 followed and interviewed product owners at Spotify. They observed that product owners in this organization spent most of their time communicating with stakeholders, with the team and with departments around the team. Much of this revolves around product vision, strategy and purpose of work. This makes the product owner clearly a leadership role. But contrary to traditional views on leadership, product owners at Spotify facilitate rather than create the vision. The researchers quote one product owner as saying, begin quote, I get a very fluffy, high-level overview, but the team has very concrete details, so I facilitate the vision, but they provide most of it, end quote. Also note that compared to the study by base and the eight core activities, it seems that the product owners at Spotify are actually really involved with forward-looking activities. So this is a nice difference compared to that study. Now, what is interesting about these findings with the product owners at Spotify is that they challenge the notion of the product owner as the person who brings a brilliant vision, strategy, and clear goals to the team, and then makes sure that the team does the right work, simply because they own the product. The product owners that were studied clearly take a more collaborative approach and treat their team as peers in the discovery process. So in that sense, being a good product owner may be more about developing a shared sense of product ownership than simply setting the clear goals. And this connects well with the next insight we will discuss. But before doing so, I will share two practical recommendations on how to put this insight into practice. The first recommendation is that Scrum teams may find it valuable to explore with their product owner how vision, strategy and purpose are communicated, who communicates this more than others. The second recommendation is that the examples from Spotify show that product owners do not have to fit in the stereotypical mold of the product owner as a visionary. And this brings me to the final insight. Product ownership may be more important than product owners. Now ask yourself this, who is responsible for maximizing the value of the product in the Scrum framework? 
The Scrum Guide is really clear about this. It should be the product owner. The product owner is responsible for setting priorities, for defining goals, and for clarifying which work needs to be done and in what order. How these responsibilities are put into practice, however, varies greatly between product owners, as we've seen in the previous insights. But it seems clear that it certainly isn't effective when product owners keep this work strictly to themselves and don't involve the team in it. A study by Judy and Krumen Baines from 2008 offers an interesting perspective on this in a case study. They distinguish between bounded and unbounded collaboration. In the case of bounded collaboration, product owners don't engage developers in understanding the business outcomes of their work. This is different in unbounded collaboration, where product owners actively involve developers in understanding business outcomes and developing strategies to achieve them. Now, there are many reasons why product owners engage in bounded collaboration. It could be because they have deeply held beliefs that technical stuff doesn't need to know, or that they don't have the skills to do these kinds of things. But it can also come from good intentions. For example, some product owners may not want to burden their already stressed out development team with even more tasks. But despite the good intentions, research clearly suggests that unbounded collaboration or collective product ownership is more effective in practice. Judy and Krumen Baines in 2008 define collective product ownership as, begin quote, a development team that is passionate about the product they are building, connected to business goals and empathetic to their end users. They feel on the hook if their product does not succeed, end quote. Now we also see this pattern in the data that we've collected from the Scrum Team survey. Together with Daniel Russo, I analyzed data from almost 2000 Scrum Teams. We found that Scrum Teams are more effective when there is a shared concern for the needs of stakeholders in the team. There are three questions we ask team members to rate, and this gives us a sense of stakeholder collaboration. The first question is, members of this team frequently meet with users or customers of what this team creates. The second question is, everyone in this team is familiar with the vision for the product. And finally, this team often explores what would make the product more valuable for users. Now, team members can rate these questions on a scale from one to seven. And we found that teams that score high on these questions are also consistently more effective in terms of stakeholder satisfaction and team morale. So taken together, this evidence supports the idea of shared product ownership. A product owner does well not to keep their cards too close to their chests. A collaborative approach where the team is fully involved with decision-making, strategizing and prioritizing seems to be more effective. Now, if you're struggling on how to put this into practice, we've created a couple of do-it-yourself workshops that you can use with your product owner or as a product owner with your team. And the link is in the show notes. And that brings me to the conclusions. The studies that we discussed in this episode, in one way or another, all conclude that every product owner is different. Despite the very concise description in the Scrum framework, what makes a good product owner clearly seems to be even more dependent on the context than the other roles. As a professional community, we should emphasize that diversity in our opinions about what makes a good product owner is varied. Silver, bullet, silver bullets and one-size-fits-all solutions are not helpful. The second conclusion is that product owners are leaders, but not in a traditional sense, where they are the ones setting the goals. 
Rather, good product owners are highly collaborative in their approach and they work with teams to clarify the vision, the purpose and strategy for their product. They develop a shared sense of product ownership. This is clearly different from the notion of the product owner as the requirements writer or the product architect. Organizations are well advised to emphasize the facilitative soft skills for product owners over purely technical and managerial skills. Finally, I also have a personal opinion that I would like to share based on these studies. I wonder if the Scrum Guide sufficiently captures these insights in how it describes the role. Is it really helpful to talk a product owner with emphasis on owner when shared product ownership seems to be more fruitful in practice? The way in which the accountabilities are described in the Scrum Guide also suggests that it is the product owner who performs them. Take for example the item product owners are, are responsible for developing and explicitly communicating the product goal or they are accountable for creating and clearly communicating product backlog items. Does the current Scrum Guide really offer enough guidance and direction for product owners on how to develop shared product ownership and thereby motivate and empower teams to maximize the value of their work? And that brings me to the end of today's episode. I want to give a big thanks to Justina Pindel, Marise Meine and Maarten Dalmijn for reviewing the article that this podcast is based on. They are all product owners and they gave their opinion based on the research and they also added a lot of additional thoughts that were really useful to include. Now there were also other reviewers, not product owners, but people who work with product owners that also shared their thoughts and improvements, in particular Eleonora and Niels Dimmers from our patron community. We are super grateful for your help in making this episode better. Now, as you can imagine, creating an episode like this, where we actually have to do a lot of research into scientific studies and writing a good script for it, takes a lot of time. It takes a lot more time than a regular blog post, where we just give an opinion and or some practice that you can use. Now, if you appreciate this kind of evidence-based perspective and would like to see more of it, we would be very grateful for your support. You can do this via patreon.com liberators with a monthly donation of a size that you choose. And in return for this, we give you a whole bunch of nice extras. It's a great way for us to record more episodes and to make it better, basically, and to also create a lot of other kinds of content like the do-it-yourself workshops and our blog posts that are also supported by our patrons. And also, we're always grateful with a nice review or just sharing this episode on, on the platforms that you're listening on or on LinkedIn so that more people can discover it. Having said all this, I want to thank you very much for listening. I hope you learned something new about product owners and being a good product owner. And I hope to see you again for our next episode. Bye-bye.